The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to take a moment and share a word from our sponsor. Body Rappers' Angela Luzio is happy to be the proud sponsor of the Premier Dance Network. Body Rappers' Angela Luzio is known for its fine total stretch tights and Angela Luzio shoes. Tyler Peck, principal dancer with the New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premier. It takes a dancer who wears a leotard all day to know what is best in a leotard. So Tyler's beautiful original leotard designs fit perfectly, are ideal for class, rehearsal, or performance, and move well with the body and won't ride up in the back. Body Wrappers makes additional apparel for all types of dance that includes ballet, jazz, modern, lyrical, hip-hop, tap, team, liturgical, performance wear for competition and recital, as well as Angela Luzio shoes. You may view all the products at www.bodywrappers.com or to purchase Tyler Peck designs by Body Wrappers, go to dancewearcorner.com or your favorite online dance apparel retailer for all their products. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pod the Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-monthly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 15 plus years of experience with you whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So, put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Good Friday to you all. Oh, wait. (laughs) That sounds like a holiday. It is a holiday, right? I'm Jewish, so I'm not on the up and up when it comes to Good Friday. But anyway... Good day to you all. I hope that your past two weeks have been full of many things besides nor'easters and cold weather. It's been a snowy few weeks for us here in New York, which has perfectly aligned with a mildly lighter schedule for me. (laughs) So instead of going out, I've been focusing on getting some tasks done, like applying for a mentorship program with Dance USA and seeking teaching and choreographic opportunities. I've been teaching a lot, but I haven't been choreographing as much as I'd like to. So I have been working on that. Before I get too far into anything, just a quick rundown of my up-and-coming class schedule at Broadway Dance Center. On Fridays, I have my advanced beginner ballet class at 6 p.m. Sundays, I have basic ballet coming back for one month at 6 p.m. On Tuesdays, beginner ballet is at 10.30 a.m. And on Thursdays, I now have intermediate ballet, which I teach at more of an advanced professional level at 4.30 p.m. On top of that, they have also added another basic ballet class for one month for me on Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. So if you are interested in coming to take class with me, that is my current class schedule. I've been getting a lot of requests lately for a weekly newsletter that shares all of my open classes that I teach weekly, especially because I tend to pick up random contemporary classes in the city at Steps on Broadway and Broadway Dance Center. Um, so if this interests you, reach out to me on Facebook or on my website at www.barrycrollis.com and give me your email address to add you to this list. If I get more than, I don't know, 
20 people on that list, I will start to send out a newsletter. It's not really worth my time if it's only just three to five people. But if you're interested, go ahead, send me a message, and I will add you to that list um, and start growing that from there. Beyond this, I will also be running my third absolute beginner workshop for ballet. Um, and this is for students who are 18 and over at this coming April. Uh, and this will be at Broadway Dance Center. It's an eight-week workshop and it runs every Sunday at 6 p.m. Um, so it, as I said, it's at Broadway Dance Center. And if you're interested in taking this workshop from me here in New York City, uh, you can head on over to their website, broadwaydancecenter.com, or you can give them a call to sign up. Uh, in these workshops, I we start from the very, very very beginning, I explain the positions of the feet, the positions of the arms, um, and you'll learn ballet technique really from the ground up. You'll learn the structure of bar, and then we'll learn some of center center work, and you'll learn about fitness and flexibility. And beyond all of that, I think it's really important that you learn the inner workings of our beautiful dance world. So there will be conversation on how ballet companies function. Uh, we'll talk about what ballet companies there are across the country and maybe even the world. And then just talk about choreography and ballets and give you an idea of if you're interested in going to see performances, which you'll, you may want to go see. So it's really just about cultivating people that are interested in our art form. So if you're interested in that, like I said, head on over to the Broadway Dance Center website or give them a call to sign up. It caps at 25. In my last workshop, we had 23. So um, they are becoming more popular. If you want to get in, you might want to call or uh, go online and sign up now. All right. Now, let's move on to our podcast episode. Back in September, I received an email from one of my regular listeners, Mary, who has suggested a topic in the past. Um, I don't know where you're from, Mary. You should tell me. Um, <laughs> but I, I usually like to say where you're from because sometimes we have international people, sometimes we have national people. It's always exciting to hear where you're from. But so she suggested a topic in the past, uh, and it was about uh, tips for adult recreational dancers. How appropriate after just telling you about my third up-and-coming Absolute Beginner Workshop. Um, so Mary's apparently really good at suggesting topics, uh, <laughs> so maybe she should start doing that for a living. But before I get too off track, um, she asked immediately after I did this podcast about adult recreational uh dance tips. She asked me to do another topic and uh, I have a few that are sitting in my queue. Um, and one of them I'm really interested in doing about immigrants, but it's it's going to be very complex and take me a long time. So I'm going to have to wait till I have enough time to really research that. But when Mary asked, uh, this topic, it, it really hit home for me. Um, I wanted to talk about it immediately, but it was a few weeks before I was moving and I was already feeling anxious enough about my transition to from Philadelphia to New York City. So I didn't feel like I was really in the right place to discuss something like this. Um, but I, now that I'm settled on everything, I think that I can approach Mary's topic, which is tips uh, to deal with anxiety. I mean... That's, I'm the right person to ask when it comes to anxiety because I've got a lot of experience <laughs> with it. Um, so since it's been long enough uh, since I've moved and I have unsuccessfully tried to clear out my email inbox and found this message at the bottom of it, <laughs> I figured perhaps it is time to talk anxiety. Did you hear that in the background? 
that's the joy of living in New York City. I, I don't rent out studio space. Um, I do my own podcasts in my apartment. And although I live on the sixth floor and I'm currently looking outside at the Chrysler Building and the Empire State Building, I also live a block from the subway, which is above line. I also live four blocks away from Amtrak and the Long Island Railroad. So every once in a while, you might hear a little beep beep. That is the sound of mass transit in one of the biggest cities in the world. <laughs> All right, let's get back on topic. I just didn't want to re-record that moment. So let's move on. Let's talk about my anxiety and where it originated. And I'm going to talk a little bit about different anxieties that I've had throughout my life and my career. And then I'm going to offer you a little bit of, of uh, some tips on, on how to cope with anxiety. If you find that you are an anxious person, or even if you're not typically an anxious person, maybe you are feeling anxiety about a current experience. So my anxiety, honestly, like I can't tell you exactly when it started, but I know that it started at a very young age and I, I know kind of like where it originated. Um, around the age of three, I suffered my very first asthma attack. Um, and I mean, as I got older and as my, as I would continue to have asthma attacks, we were able to handle them differently. But the first one, we didn't really know what was going on. <laughs> so it was much scarier than, than the other ones. I mean, they were all kind of frightening. But um, around the age of three, I had my first severe asthma attack. I, I had been sick. And through this illness, I developed croup, which is that really like hoarse, like deep chest cough where it sounds really, really bad. Um, so I developed the croup and I had gone to sleep and I woke up and, and the croup was really, really bad. And when you're asthmatic and you get croup, it's it's really, really bad. Like you can't breathe in, you can breathe out, but you can't breathe in. So you get short, short, short breaths in and quick breaths out. And it just creates this bad combination where you feel like you're going to pass out immediately. So um, I woke up with the croup. I couldn't breathe. I walked into my mom's room like feeling very lightheaded and felt like I was in a very dangerous place. Um, so of course, in the panic of me not being able to breathe, my mom pushed, but not pushed me, carried me into the car. And I mean, it was in the middle of the night. So we were about a 10 to 15 minute drive away from the hospital. She went on the highway and she was flying down the highway. And as she became more panicked, I became more panicked. And since I was having already having trouble breathing in, <laughs> um, I started to try to breathe in even faster because I was panicking. And in that moment, I, I believe I turned to her <laughs> and I somehow expressed to her that I thought I was dying and I practically passed out in the car because I couldn't get enough breath. And um, finally made it to the hospital. I, was, I came to and they gave me a breathing treatment and it started to relieve the, the inability for me to take air in. And... Um, that really was the onset, I think, of my anxiety. I mean, I don't think it started in that very moment, but after that, we started to find out that I had, like we, the doctors told, told my mom that I had asthma. They started to explain that I might be on medication for my entire life. Um, and uh, it, was, it was frightening. And we, I think after the first time, we were kind of like just learning how to deal with it. But when it happened again, that's when it started to really become a reality that this could be my life and it could also be the end of my life. 
So after this, I became acutely aware aware of what it felt like on your way to death. And I know that sounds dramatic, but it's true. Like you stop breathing when you die. And I knew what it felt like to almost stop breathing. Um, and I was convinced that this was how I was going to die. Uh, my asthma was so severe that I had to buy and use a nebulizer twice a day. Those are the ones that they have in the hospital where you plug it into the wall, you put a solution and you sit there and you have to breathe in the, the vapors. Um, and I still have this nebulizer. Um, I've, I've grown out of my asthma. I'll get to that in a second, but uh, I still have to use it when I'm sick today. I also had to use three inhalers on top of the nebulizer twice a day and I had to take a pill. Um, so that's, that's a lot, a lot of stuff to do for a small child. Um, I mean, I remember my pockets were always bulging because I had all my inhalers in my pockets at once. So my attacks were so severe when they happened that my mom was nervous to let me do anything except go to school and go to dance without her nearby because she felt that she was the only one who could prevent an attack or take care of the attack as it was happening um, to make sure that didn't go so far that I did it did potentially become life-threatening. Dance was an outlet for me for my anxiety. And uh, another thing on top of it is it helped me learn how uh, breath control during times that I felt that I was out of breath. So that combined with learning, yes, the flute, saxophone, clarinet, I play wind instruments. Um, it all helped me eventually grow out of my asthma, um, except when I'm sick or it's very, very cold out. Now, now that I'm not performing, um, I don't really have to deal with those times when I may be dancing in a cold theater. Never had to deal with that when I was uh, dancing in a unionized company because they're required to have the stage at a certain temperature. I think it's between 60 and 72 degrees. But um, as I freelance, they didn't have those rules in place. And sometimes, especially like in Alaska, you would be stuck in a theater that was cold. And uh, I had noticed my asthma more then. But now that I'm retired um, from performance, I really only notice it when I'm sick or if it's really cold outside. Um, so while I grew out of my asthma as I became an adult, I never grew out of my major anxiety issues. So I don't know if that was the base for my anxiety, um, but I know that it definitely was a trigger for my anxiety. So I wasn't always aware of my anxiety issues, but as I became an adult, I noticed that I was always concerned with how people viewed me. Um, if I was having a conversation with somebody new that I was hope hoping to become friends with, or if it was somebody that I really respected in our career field, um, I would be having <laughs> as much of a conversation inside my head as I would be having with the person at the time. And sometimes that would make me appear awkward or I would lose track of where I was in the conversation. Um, it was very odd. Um, doesn't happen as much today, but still happens. But beyond this, while I had cultivated the positive stress and nervousness of performance into excitement, even though it was anxiety, I would obsess about getting injured before I got to perform some of my most coveted roles. Um, I remember as I prepared for the roles of Mercutio and Puck just thinking like, well, what if I would get injured <laughs> and then I wouldn't get to do that? And then what if I wasn't here to get to do it again? Or if the director didn't think that I would be, I was good enough to do it again because something happened and I couldn't do it previously. If my mind would wander down anxiety lane and I found myself discussing the fear of getting injured in my head, I would usually cut off the conversation mid thought because it made me so anxious to consider that idea. I found that if I filled my schedule with other activities, I wouldn't have as much time to think about the things that stress me out. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if that's reasonable, but um, 
that's how I did it. So becoming a union representative for the company, taking university courses uh, through Seattle University, acting as a dancer liaison for our young donor development group. These things were all great distractions from my nagging tendency to overanalyze everything in my life, negative or positive. There is that Amtrak train again. (laughs) I don't think I've ever had so many issues with public transport while I'm trying to talk to you guys about dance. Come on, Amtrak. we got more important things to talk about. Okay, so things were generally under control until I decided to leave Pacific Northwest Ballet. I made the decision many months before contracts would be offered uh, to leave the company, but I stayed quiet because if I changed my mind, I needed to make sure that my options remained open to stay with the company. So I couldn't talk about this major event that was occurring in my life to almost everybody around me. I think there were two people initially that knew, and then there was a third person who I was very close with, and they asked me a random question, and I gave them like a random look, and they looked at me in horror, and I was like, no, 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 and they're like, I know, and uh, anyway, so really, I only had three people that I could discuss it with. Um, Beyond that, I was auditioning for companies on weekends between work weeks, and I was freaking out that I was going to leave this stable job and have nothing lined up. Uh, I, I have had severe anxiety also surrounding finances since I was a small child, um, which is another story. But I, I was living a really stable lifestyle in Seattle and I was choosing to leave this lifestyle whether I had a job or not because I was convinced. I was like, if I don't get this, I'm going go to go move to New York and freelance, which didn't happen initially, but happened pretty quickly, but not in New York. But that's another part, another story as well. Um, So I was afraid that if I didn't find work, I would not only be losing my career, but I could potentially lose my lifestyle, my health insurance, and my home. None of these things were happening, but I internalized these fears and anxieties, which led to three major issues. First off, I developed a horrible eye twitch that lasted for nearly six months. (laughs) Um, I remember sitting across from a desk with Glenn Edgerton from Hubbard Street after I had... uh, auditioned for their company in Chicago and he was talking to me and the entire time my my eye was twitching and I felt like he could see it and like I looked like I was a crazy person and I don't even remember much of what he said because all I could think about was the fact that my eye was twitching and I looked psychotic um (laughs) I don't think he could see it but I felt that way um but I, I still had this eye twitch uh, after I'd figured out that I was moving to Philadelphia to join Ballet X. It took months for this twitch to go away. Beyond this, I began having stress-induced asthma symptoms, which I hadn't had for a few years at that point. So I was just constantly gasping for air, even like normal everyday situations. It wasn't like something would trigger it. It was like every day I just felt like I couldn't catch my breath, um, like I was on the verge of having a severe asthma attack. Lastly, I became more irritable to my loved ones because I constantly felt on edge as I made this life transition. While my symptoms settled a bit after transitioning to Philadelphia, all of the shit hit the anxiety fan when I experienced an injury with Ballet X, which I've talked about in multiple podcasts. So if you're curious about that, go go listen to – you can probably find one that even specifically talks about that experience. As I struggled to find a way to care for my injury without going bankrupt, I ended up dancing through my injury to pay my bills, which still didn't leave me additional income to see a physical therapist. I was just paying to live. I wasn't able to take care of myself. And the fallout of my injury becoming prolonged, the company hiding workers comp from me, and subsequently attempting to deny me unemployment after they fired me threw me over the edge of anxiety. 
Continue to work injured to support my family, remembering my childhood fear of becoming homeless because I couldn't afford to pay my bills, and transitioning into a completely unknown career field as a freelancer caused the worst years of anxiety in my life. I became depressed. I couldn't catch my breath for the duration of my freelancing career. I became an insomniac. Every small issue felt like a crisis. I developed a lump in my throat that every time I swallowed, it felt like I was like barely able to get liquid down my down my throat past this lump. Um, not like a real lump, but you know that sense when you get bad news, people say like, I had a lump in my throat. Um, or if you feel like you're going to cry or sad, like that sort of feeling. Um, and I would actually count my heartbeat. I've told people this, but I haven't really talked about this publicly, but I would actually count my heartbeat until I fell asleep because I was convinced it was going to stop from uh, stop from stress and that I would die in my sleep. Um, I actually wouldn't even sleep on my right side most of the time, which was my comfortable side to sleep. Sorry, not to lie. I wouldn't sleep on my left side, which had become my comfortable side because my heart was closer to the bed and I could feel my heart beating against the mattress. So I would almost always lay on my right side. Um, I know it sounds crazy, but these are the things that anxiety can do to you. Um, and while a lot of this anxiety was uh, personal, it was very much career related. Um, it was interesting. Like at a certain point, career becomes life. Life becomes career. I constantly try to tell people that like I am a human first, and I'm a dancer second. But it's starting to become to the like if in this type of career, especially, people very much relate to you in in as a dancer, and that becomes your identity. So this was not just career related. This was life related at this point. It was finally after I experienced a panic attack in front of State Theater before attending a New York City ballet show and headed immediately into the theater to down multiple glasses of champagne just so I could make it through the show. I had recognized I was having a panic attack um, and I decided to sort of just like calm myself and then see if it was not a panic attack. Um, so I went and had a couple glasses of champagne to make to make it through the performance. Um, and at that point, I realized that I had to do something about how severe my anxiety had become and the symptoms that I was having. So the day after my panic attack, I had to sit down and I had to be honest with myself. I, I wrote down a few things and I did that to assess how or at least try to ad- start to address and assess how I could fix some of the issues. Um Writing down these assessments in a short letter to myself helped me take my fears and stressors out of my head. That was really the first step because everything was in my head and I, I hadn't found a way to in- stop internalizing these things. So I've, I I did that. I wrote them down on paper and I clearly remember the first thing that I wrote because this was something that was in my childhood psyche since I was a small kid. I wrote, it is better to be bankrupt than to die of a heart attack before I turn 30 years old. I'd been struggling to handle the financial stress of the feast or famine lifestyle, um, and it, it was triggering a lot of childhood anxiety in me. I had to put the situation in the right frame of mind, and in that moment, I realized I would rather be alive and in debt than and to, sorry, I would rather be alive and in debt to have a home and food on the table um, than worry about it so much that I continued falling down this path of anxiety that was no longer just emotional. It was starting to physically affect my health. I also felt it was really important for me to remind myself that while I had failed in my attempt to transition to ballet X, it didn't make me a failure as a whole. 
It was just a horrible moment in my history. And while it made me sick to turn that tragic moment in my life into a sort of resilience, learning, and coming out on top story, I realized I didn't need to pretend that that is what was happening. If it did happen, then that would be part of my story that I could tell. But I decided to stop pretending like I was okay and to start sharing my side of the story openly. For many years, I wouldn't talk about exactly what happened because I was afraid that it would it would bite me. It would bite me in the ass. <laughs> so I, I, I talked about parts of it very quietly, but I wouldn't even say, I actually for years wouldn't even say the name Ballet X. Getting to talk things out helped more than anything else. I started with friends and then I started talking to colleagues. And then after that, I started talking to colleagues that were in the studio when these situations happened. I attempted medication for a very short period of time, um, and I think that I am a big positive uh, voice uh, when it comes to medication. I think that nobody should be ashamed for that. Uh, if you look back to my choreography YouTube web series, um, Lauren Fadley, she spoke openly about taking medication for depression um, and how she was embarrassed about it for years, and she actually came out on that video um, about her depression and taking medication. It was very liberating for her. So I, I, I'm not talking medication down. It just wasn't a good fit for me as I became anxious about the side effects of the medication. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell a little side story about that. So the <laughs> this tells you how bad my anxiety is. I had anxiety about my anxiety medication. Um, so I, I think I was taking boost bar and one of the very, very, very rare side effects, I think it's like one or 2% of people get this, um, is that your face, you get paralysis of the face and it said on the paperwork that they give you that you get permanent, a permanent clown, like mask, clown, like mask, like facial expression. <laughs> and Two weeks after I'd started taking the medication, I was in a nutcracker rehearsal. And I think because I was so depressed, I hadn't really smiled very much. And as I was like smiling, as I was like performing the pas de deux, my cheeks started to cramp. <laughs> and I was convinced that that was what the beginning of the paralysis felt like. So I couldn't take the medication because I was afraid that I was going to develop the clown-like mask paralysis. Um, <laughs> so that's why I stopped taking the medication. Um Otherwise, I think I probably would have stayed on it. Um, but yeah, I had anxiety about my anxiety medication. It's I was just a mess. But anyway, so um, continuing the conversation, it was finding a therapist who could listen to my stressors, offer insight to why they were overwhelming me, and eventually uh, who was able to offer tools to help dig myself out of this deep, deep hole of anxiety that I couldn't pull myself out of on, on my own. That really, really helped me. As time passed, the lump in my throat disappeared. I started sleeping again, and my breathing returned to normal. But it's important to note that anxiety isn't an issue that is resolved once and doesn't return. I began to experience similar physical symptoms of anxiety during the, 2000, during the year of 2017 as I was overworking myself and burnt out from super commuting. Um, I started to get the lump in my throat at times. Also, uh, my, my stress asthma symptoms started to uh, reveal themselves again. But with my previous experience with anxiety and the tools that I had learned, I was able to keep them better in check, although they weren't, they, they weren't gone, but I was able to at least address, assess, and try to work um, on resolving them. Um, 
Also, I wasn't afraid to return to my therapist to help guide me through this new bout of anxiety. Um, I think it also helped that I knew that there was an end date to my commuting where it was harder with my freelancing and all the feelings surrounding getting fired from Ballet X. Um, Because I didn't have an end date to that, I kind of just let it fizzle out until I burnt out severely and became so badly injured that I never could perform again. So... um, I, with this situation, instead of being like, there's not an end to it, I, I put an end date, I saw the end date, and that at least allowed me to be anxious until I got there. And then once I finally moved to New York and saw that I was able to achieve what I said I was going to do um, with limited consequences, I felt I, I, I most of my symptoms went away. Um, there is always more one can learn about themselves. And honestly, my sessions with my, my therapist were the highlights of my weeks. <laughs> like, I loved going to therapy. Um, I mean, you could tell I like talking, but I wouldn't have a podcast if I didn't. But um, they were really the highlights of my week as I endured hours upon hours sitting on a bus to build the life I had always dreamt about here in New York City. I'm feeling much better now that I'm not super commuting and now that I have my first stable work life since I began freelancing six years ago. But I know that my anxiety can come back at any point, and it's also easily triggered. Um, even when my like when my schedule is really really full, and I feel like I don't have any time for myself, like I can start to feel like tension in my chest, and like my my breathing starts to get affected. I still have everyday anxieties, but I'm able to keep them in check, and I know what I have to do if they become overwhelming again. So if you are listening and have suffered or are suffering from overwhelming anxiety, whether it be just in the moment, situational, or if it be long-term, let me remind you of the things that I did to help enjoy my life more uh, and to address real-life and unrealistic fears that led to such challenging stress and anxiety-related symptoms. So just a quick rundown of everything that I've already talked about, but just so that it's more condensed. The first step for me was that I assessed what my what was giving me anxieties, um, and I took it out of my head. Um, I, I thought about them, I wrote them down, and then I, I, I tried to, to figure out what, what those issues were. My second step is to determine if there was any reality behind those anxieties. So I, I recognized, for instance, that um, I still had my house. I hadn't lost my house. And yes, I was stressed about the feast or famine, uh, lifestyle of, of freelancing, but I had to go, okay, is this realistic today? No, I paid my rent. I have the entire month to, to stay in my apartment. Is it realistic for next month? No, I have work coming up. Okay. Is it realistic for five months? I don't know because I don't have work lined up that far in advance. So I could at least say, okay, I don't have to stress about it for the next two months. I can work for the next two months to make sure that I find work. And then if I can't find work at the end of those two months, then I can start to stress about it. Um, so really the third step I, I kind of just discussed it was, was just addressing the things that I knew that I could resolve. Um, and the fourth step of that was to come to terms with the things that I couldn't resolve. So for instance, um, I had major anxieties around the fact that I was, uh, commuting so much and that I was it, that I was going to be on the bus. And I knew that this was going to happen. So, um, I knew that I couldn't resolve that, but I knew that there were parts of it that I could resolve. So my comfort level while riding the bus um, was something that I could resolve. Sometimes the people on the bus were very rude. Sometimes we were very delayed. Um, sometimes I wasn't getting home till late hours. So what I would do was I started to make sure I 
could resolve certain things. Make sure there was one day a week that I wasn't on the bus. If I had to take the bus every week, instead of working nonstop on the bus, I downloaded video games that I really enjoyed so that it would take my mind off of it. Um, the After that, re- like I said, seeing a therapist really helped me. Um, it helped me become more of a realist. Uh, or sorry, no, uh, becoming more of a realist helped. The therapist didn't help with me becoming a realist, but that they gave me tools to do that. But becoming more of a realist helped instead of just constantly imagining uh, things happening and then thinking how they, they could get worse in an exponential ways. Medication helped, but it caused more more anxiety for me. So for some that might work, but for me it didn't. Um, and then again, just getting to open up and talk about things helped when you internalize things and you don't share them, it really can, it can take its toll. So I always suggest, uh, don't be ashamed of exact, like of the, of, of things like being stressed or having anxiety or having symptoms, um, talk about them and make it a conversation. And I bet you you'll feel better after that. So I hope that you haven't experienced severe anxiety symptoms, but if you have, um, the, I hope that this helps you get through that. Um, if you have had anything similar like this happen, um, I would love to hear your experiences with how you coped with it, whether it be simple work stress, major work stress, life stress, um, and anxiety and all those things. So, um, I think that that's pretty much everything I have to say about anxiety. Thank you again, Mary, for suggesting this. You always give great suggestions. Um, and anybody is always welcome to, to offer podcast suggestions to me. Um, I have, I'm almost up to a hundred podcasts at this point and some weeks it's really easy to come up with topics. And then some weeks it's more difficult. And I really appreciate having a a pool of, of possibilities to pull from. So please don't be shy in reaching out to me to, uh, to do that. So, um, I will tell you how to reach out to me in a second with my closing. So let's get to that. All right. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrycorollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, on Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blogs. Life of a Freelance Dancer is currently archived, but still available to be read. Uh, And I spent five years writing about working as a freelance artist on that. I also have my new blog, Dancing Offstage. You can find that at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com. And on that blog, I talk about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. I also have a YouTube channel that features my choreography. If you want to check that out, you can find that by searching for the B Corollas channel. And I also, it's been a while since I've mentioned this, so why not give it a go since it was mentioned this podcast? I did a short web series called Choreography, and it 
told the life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and choreography, so you can check it out on YouTube as well. Thanks for listening in to Pod to Chat. I hope you return in two weeks from this Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.